You're listening to the Plastic Shift podcast. Welcome to the Plastic Shift podcast. I'm Madhav Malhotra, one of the students at the Plastic Shift, and I'm reaching out to several experts working to solve issues with plastic pollution. This podcast showcases unique perspectives on this massive problem to identify what its most important aspects are. Today, I'm interviewing Ina Tesno von Wisoki a doctoral candidate in the Mariupol Data Project at the University of Vienna in Austria. Her research focuses on international agreements with a focus on global environmental policy. She's sharing some insights from her previous research on the problem of marine plastic pollution, and I'm really excited to hear her perspective on how governments can influence this massive problem. Thank you for joining me today. It's really great to hear from you with how your research is very different from the rest of the topics we've been looking at so far. So I thought we could start off by quickly addressing that. Do you mind introducing yourself very, very quickly and just summarizing your past work and research interests? Sure. Um, so thanks uh, for inviting me and uh, for this opportunity to share um, my research. So I am uh, Ina Tesno von Wiesocki. I currently do a PhD at the University of Vienna, but um, my previous research um, was, uh, well, I studied international relations, uh, my bachelor in, uh, in Australia at Griffith University, and then in Germany at the Free University Berlin, Humboldt University and University of Potsdam. And uh, throughout my studies, I, I was always interested in environmental policy and then towards the end of my master's, I got, got interested in the problem of plastic pollution. And I wrote my thesis on international cooperation on this issue. So um, I'm with the emphasis on, on legally binding multilateral environmental agreements and also the importance of treaty design for the success of an international agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, I also attended the ad hoc open-ended expert group on marine litter and microplastics in Geneva 2018. So I got a bit of an insight there. Um, that was a great opportunity for me. And um, yeah, so then uh, I got interested in this topic also because uh, yeah, it's often very visible. Uh, it's, it's, it's a topic that's easy to grasp for everyone. And it's kind of clear that it's not supposed to be in our environment and Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm really passionate about, about making a change in this regard. And uh, yeah, we see the, the plastic pollution and also we see a rising plastic production. And uh, we know our oceans are connected. Um, and if we pollute in one area of the ocean, it will go to other areas as well. We, um, yeah, I, I like to talk about this, um, <laughs> this example of the, of the plastic ducks. So when a a container uh, lost some some of these rubber ducks, uh, well, over I think around thirty thousand, mm-hmm. and they dispersed around the whole ocean. So so we can really see how connected our ocean is, yeah. and um, that it's really an international issue that we have to tackle. So that's why I I, I took it from the international perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. And well, like it seems like um, you definitely have a lot of uh, global experiences when it comes to this problem. So I thought uh, with all these issues you described, like uh, I can see you're already very uh, interested to get into a lot of it. I would be very curious to hear with all of the research you've been doing into this with environmental studies in general, also with uh, plastic pollution in particular, what is the status quo of the role governments have when it comes to this problem right now? 
So I think governments are really important in setting frameworks and standards and also um, giving guidelines um, to, to solve um, such issues. And then especially when we talk about transboundary problems. So when there's uh, yeah, environmental um, harms that, that cross borders, because mm -hmm. obviously our oceans don't, don't care about political or, um, borders or legal borders. Um, so I think there's lots of issues that we can look at in terms of justice, uh, in terms of environmental um, harm, um, and there's yeah there's many issues that we can study, and that's, that's why it's um, it's very important um, also for governments um, to engage because such international challenges cannot be tackled by one government alone, but it has to be in conjunction with uh, different states that that set the standards internationally. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to this kind of thing, I know I was uh, talking to some of the charities that are involved with uh, this issue internationally, and they have the same perspective. They often find that when they do research in the field, they see that even though certain countries might uh, contribu contribute to uh, more plastic waste produced, well, it doesn't matter if the waste ends up in the oceans because then it ends up in all sorts of different ecosystems, even though uh, one country might not be producing as much as another. So that's why a bunch of these charities are focused on different policies to get everyone involved in how do you contribute to this problem regardless of uh, which country is involved. So they have a lot of work to do. But when it comes to the governments, how are governments internationally currently cooperating to address these issues? Like what types of policies are they implementing? What are the trade-offs between different types of policies? So governments around the world are really active on this issue already. Mm -hmm. um, we can see international agreements. We can see regional agreements, um, also local initiatives um, in, in all areas. Um, for example, there are, um, international agreements uh, looking at sea-based sources. So, um, for example, the UN Fish Stocks Agreement mm -hmm. um, would be looking at some sea-based sources. So it's basically plastic pollution coming from ships, um, whereas uh, other um, well, agreements are trying to tackle um, land-based sources. Um, but we do not currently have an overarching framework that is looking at um, sea-based sources, land-based sources, as well as um, chemical compounds of mm -hmm. plastics. Um, so there is really a need for, for a more sustainable life cycle of plastics. So we have different uh, steps in the plastic um, life cycle, meaning production, manufacture, uh, also consumption and disposal. And mm -hmm. it's, this is uh, globally dispersed. So we see these different steps happening in different countries. And um, it's currently, there's currently not um, an overarching uh, framework that would guarantee such a sustainable life cycle of plastics. Mm -hmm. And to highlight a bit more of that distinction, because especially for people who aren't involved in the government policy uh, aspect of things, it's often hard to figure out like what are the challenges that people actually go through in trying to figure out what policies would be effective. So when it comes to the distinctions between, say, land and sea-based sources of plastic pollution, 
is there is there any one that's more important for instance um is there research showing that it's more important for governments to in intervene for like plastics coming from factories on land versus from fishing industries or ships based in the sea well, first of all, maybe we should identify a little bit what these sources are. So basically, when I say sea-based sources, mm -hmm. um, this can also include uh, synthetic fishing gear, for example. So fishing nets that would then end up in the oceans as ghost nets. So sometimes you probably see the pictures of entangled marine species. Mm -hmm. um, that is something that also would fall on, under marine plastic pollution. Um, and that obviously requires different approaches to um, the land-based uh, sources um, that can include, uh, for example, unprotected uh, dump sites or from industries, from ports. So um, that, that would um, more be the, the unsustainable management of, um, of plastic waste that itself. Mm -hmm. So we can see a difference in um, in the different sources, but also um, we would have to talk about microplastics, which is another um, yeah, type, I'd say, um, that would require a different approach. So we cannot have a one approach to, to marine plastic pollution, not one solution, but we will have to take into consideration um, the different sources and also the different types. And um, maybe to clarify again, the types next to fishing gear and plastic packaging and, and these bigger plastic items, plastic bottles, um, the microplastic, meaning very small plastic particles, um, they can be in form of primary microplastics, so meaning that they are produced to be this size. Mm -hmm. um, they, can, they can be, for example, in uh, shower gels also or cleaning detergent that is used and they would then find their way in the oceans over over this uh, yeah over this way because they're too small to be filtered out um, and secondary microplastics would be that something is degrading so uh, a larger plastic item is degrading and um, this can include also textiles. So for example, if you have synthetic textiles and you wash your clothes, also little fibers, microplastic fibers can, can get into the oceans. Mm -hmm. And the same happens also with car tires from abrasion. So um, this is also a source. So you will have to identify the different sources and approach them differently. Mm -hmm. And we can already start to see all the complexity here. Uh, from the research we've been doing at the Plastic Shifts, it really seems like uh, one great resource for all of this is our world in data. They have amazing um, statistics about all of this. For instance, like how, say, sources from plastic nets, they're very, I'd say, like they make up over they make up the majority of plastics in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. But when it comes to all plastics entering the oceans, well, it's a smaller percentage. And like by mass, um, what's the composition of plastics in the ocean by, uh, in terms of microplastics versus macroplastics? Uh, they really have a lot of great data about that. And I'd say that it would be very interesting to anyone listening uh, if they're curious about like all the different types of plastics there. Uh, that's one great resource to go into. And 
on the point of data, I was curious when it comes to the challenges with creating different policies for these different sources. I was wondering in general, um, what are the biggest barriers that prevents effective international policies to address marine pollution? Is it a lack of data, which is something that we've been talking about like in the past a little bit, or is it something else? Obviously, there is a lack of data, but I am convinced that we could take action because we know that um, plastic shouldn't belong to the environment. Um, mm -hmm. If you ask me, I do not need a proof that it, um, that it affects human health directly. Um, for me, it would be enough to see the um, consequences on our environment, our marine species, also on coastal communities, fisheries. Um, we have the economic, economic sectors also um, uh, in, in, the, in the small communities um, affected. So the, it, it affects already on a large extent. And um, I think the data should not be here um, the main problem. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it's also the question, um, maybe the, the main point is, well, one of the main points that could be barriers, um, I would say, uh, that plastic is currently very cheap. So um, that could be a potential uh, barrier when we come to, to policies because uh, currently it's, it's from an economic sense very practicable to, to um, use plastic instead of other materials if we don't want to have products that we only use a few seconds or minutes and then throw away. Mm -hmm. um, but also... Uh, bureaucratic or, or other political issues that, that might affect. So if you have um, in, in within one country, you have different ministries or different departments uh, taking care of, of in one issue that should be tackled uh, together. So I think there's also maybe um, dialogue and, and transparency that could overcome these, um, this, this barrier. Mm -hmm. um when it uh, comes to general perceptions about um, the governments in implementing policies, it often seems like uh, the government's slow, but obviously the government's slow. The government has to make uh, a lot of hard decisions on this. And especially with the economic incentive you mentioned, it really does seem like, well, there are a lot of stakeholders involved, whether it be consumers or producers or like the government um, or charities. And each of them have different incentives when it comes to the issue of having plastics have low value. Like obviously it's better for some, um, not so good for others. When it comes to addressing this issue of like the low value of plastics, it really just makes for a throwaway culture. What are the roles of different stakeholders in making this possible? Like what are different people gonna have to do uh, have to change in the way they use plastics, whether it be consumers or producers or the governments? First of all, there has to be a general question of how we currently use and waste resources. Mm -hmm. um, I think that lots of NGOs point to this often, um, that for example, there is a need for a reduction in, in the production in the first place of plastics, um, which is, not so much mentioned by um, yeah, industry or government representatives, but I think it should also be an inclusive um, 
negotiation in, in that way so that industry has already provided uh, quite some initiatives um, on a voluntary basis that can mm -hmm. be used as best practice examples. Um, and I think industry and government need to work together, obviously, on, 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 these, uh, on these policies and initiatives um, and also to, to have some dialogue to understand the other, the other positions and needs because sometimes it's also, for example, if you talk about transparency in the, in the plastic compounds, um, lots of it has to do with business sensitive data. So um, these things just to have to be, uh, yeah, solved in dialogue, I think, mm -hmm. with many stakeholders involved. Mm -hmm. And with these uh, potential solutions, would you say, considering these factors, which you just highlighted, uh, are there any promising policies in, say, certain countries or perhaps at a larger scale internationally that are currently being studied or being implemented to address these barriers? Yes, so um, we can see many best practice examples um, in, in international law, also in national law, in local initiatives mm -hmm. and, and regional agreements. But if you want to have um, some specific examples, um, I would probably name uh, extended producer responsibility schemes. So mm -hmm. there's one example in Norway where companies pay into a fund depending on how much single-use packaging they put on the market. They also need to recycle a, or a certain percentage of the, of the waste within the country. So this would incentivize um, yeah, source near disposal, so not exporting such waste to other countries, and also um, reporting on waste generation and creating an obligation for, for the reduction of waste generation. So I think this is, this is one example how we could incentivize um, innovation and product design. So producers would um, consider the disposal of the product when they create the product or develop the product and um, would avoid using material that is, is difficult to recycle, would be more transparent on the components in order to facilitate the recycling process. Um, mm -hmm. That's one idea. Yeah. And with extended uh, producer responsibility, it definitely seems like in Europe, uh, everyone's a lot further than here in North America. But it will be definitely interesting to see how uh, there are a few examples of extended producer responsibility being implemented in certain provinces and states in North America. It'll be really interesting to see how the policy grows from role models, I guess, in uh, Europe. And I guess one question I did have around that was, when it comes to the current political climate, obviously, like we have COVID-19, we have um, an economic recession, we have oil prices decreasing, which uh, often is a bad thing for the plastic recycling industry. There seems to be a lot of things going wrong in the, well, when it comes to plastic pollution, uh, all the stakeholders involved in that, there seems to be a lot of barriers right now with the current uh, political shocks. Have you seen that affect government policy? And 
do you think that when it comes to creating effective policies around plastic pollution, there's going to be some kind of major impact um, because of these political shocks? I, I would generally say that that the momentum for for um, acting on on plastic pollution is is quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 a problem that's that's visible and easy to grasp. It's in the media and in social media, and I think we can see general willingness of uh, states to um, conduct policies. We also see. Um, yeah, increasing uh, regulations in, in, in different countries around the world and um, maybe also a potential legally binding agreement on this issue. So I think um, it's still going in the right direction. Okay, that's great to hear, um, especially given all the uncertainty right now. So I guess the last major question I had for you, and this is very important for a bunch of people listening, is... When you're thinking about your unique perspective from all this research, um, what would you say are promising areas for more people to get involved with to solve the plastic pollution problem? And are these areas that generally need like a lot more attention than they're getting right now? Yes, so um, ideas for future, for future research. Um, I would say it's, it's definitely interesting to, to have a bit of a look into the values of the of the status quo right now. So how we're using and wasting the resources. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe also have some best practice examples of places where it's been, where it has been done differently um, and why, and and see if, if, yeah, we can learn from each other. Um, Also another point would be how we can assure greater transparency in the composition of plastics. So understand the life cycle of plastics to manage it sustainably. Um, because as I said, we have these different steps and it's glo- globally dispersed. And currently, um, there's no uh, global regulation on this. Um, also, monitoring the plastic waste uh, when it's in the environment um, is currently still a challenge. Um, it's very difficult um, to, to track. Um, so it would maybe be interesting to, to have some ideas on how, how we can identify the, the sources um, where this leakage of plastic is happening, not to point fingers at certain countries or stakeholders, but rather to just understand um, where this problem is taking place and, and how to act on this. And also, of course, um, as I also did in my research before, um, looking at a potential legally binding agreement on this issue and how um, how we can uh, yeah what issues to include and also um, the issue of funding and how this might be implemented so how to address the different types of pollution that I mentioned earlier um, the different sources of pollution how to account for more transparency of the chemical components and guarantee a more sustainable life cycle of plastics so we can develop a more long-term, long-term solutions to, to effectively solve the problem. And this can obviously include um, policies on the national level because um, yeah, international agreements can set the guidelines and, and the standards, but the implementation will have to be on the nationally or the domestic, domestic level. So this can include uh, policies on the national level. It can 
can be in form of bans for, for certain um, substances or, or items, how it's already been done. For example, the US, they, um, they banned uh, microbeads, so the little plastic uh, particles in shower gels. Um, but uh, yeah, these, these things can be done on a, on, a, on a domestic level. It's always good to have best practice examples um, to learn from each other and to, to implement it accordingly. Mm-hmm. And also education to understand um, the, the, main, uh, the main points and problems of, of this issue. Yeah, uh, that seems all really valuable. Thank you for sharing all this insight. If people are curious about your work, um, where might they get in touch with you? You can always email me um, or I have also LinkedIn so I can share this um, and we can yeah, yeah, for sure. get in touch. Thank you so much.